The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK CPAs and Business Consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, joined by an old friend, Shalise Manzi-Young, former Patriots reporter for the Boston Globe and the Providence Journal. And she has been for a few years the columnist for Yahoo Sports. And if ever there's a time you want the columnist from Yahoo Sport, no, that, that's that's no no that's that's a title based thing. If ever you want <laughs> Shalise Manza Young on your show, uh, it is with everything that's going on with the NFL right now. Let's just say that we're not going to get into hey, what's your Super Bowl prediction? Um, what color Gatorade do you think it's going to be? You know, let's talk about some of these funny prop bets uh, for next Sunday. No, the NFL's got a, a few messes on its hands, and mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't think of anybody better to bring in to talk about that. Shalise, thanks for doing this. Of course, Tim. So I could ask you where should we start, but um, maybe we'd be kicking back uh, or kicking around uh, four or five different ideas before we settle on one. So let me pick where we start. Uh, and the Brian Flores lawsuit uh, is incendiary and all of the parties involved who aren't named Brian Flores have come out and essentially said, this is all bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, The NFL says it's without merit uh, a couple hours after learning about them. (laughs) And then the next day is like, all right, we're going to investigate this. Um, There are two major parts just to set the scene for maybe those listeners or viewers who have only been paying casual attention. There is uh, the core, uh, the foundation of Brian Flores' lawsuit is discrimination uh, based on the fact that uh, he is a minority and that he was tired of sham interviews, most notably with the New York Giants in which Bill Belichick allegedly was congratulating Brian Dable for already getting the job before uh, Brian Flores had gotten the interview. Uh, mistakenly congratulating the wrong Brian in, in texts. And then the other parts, uh, which I think, and sadly, may stick more than the discrimination aspect of it, the fact that, well, I don't want to say the fact that, in the lawsuit, it is alleged that Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, Uh, offered $100,000 bonus payments for every loss during the 2019 season. Cameron Wolf of NFL Network has reported that there are multiple witnesses to these interactions. So I guess, Shalise, just based on what what I just said, and I didn't think that this was going to be the first question I ask you, but it's it's on the top of my mind now. What do you think hurts the NFL more in this lawsuit? I think 
unfortunately, as you said, um, the allegation that Stephen Ross wanted Brian Flores to throw games um, is far more damning because that goes to the integrity of the game. That goes to, um, you know, I'm pretty sure Stephen Ross, like Robert Kraft, the owner of the New England Patriots and some other NFL owners now are investors in gambling <laughs> outfits. Um, we're seeing more and more states every day legalize uh, sports betting. So that clearly is going to be the bigger thing. And it's also potential, if, if Flo really does have multiple witnesses, um, it might be slightly easier to prove. Um, you know, the, the racism and the discrimination, while there is an obscene amount of data that shows how excluded um, minorities are, particularly from the head coaching, um, there are, as we sit here now, six black uh, general managers in the 32 teams, which is progress. <laughs> um, it's not the number I would want to see, but it's better than it was uh, two years ago. There were two. So we've tripled that number in the last couple of hiring cycles. But, you know, as we've seen, as you mentioned, John Elway's coming out with a statement and saying, you know, to imply that I was late and that I was hungover is deeply insulting. And then the Giants came out with have had two statements saying, you know, that it's wrong. And we just went with the person they said the person we thought was more experienced, which is bullshit because Brian Dayball's never been a head coach ever. So don't say experienced. You could if you had said the one we thought was the best fit fine, but don't use things like, you know, more qualified when clearly Brian Flores' resume is stronger than Brian Dayball's. Um, and you just can't, you can't necessarily, you can't prove like you, that judgment's going to be a little bit harder, you know? And the thing that's scaring me now is that if one but better two, three, four other men don't join the class with Brian Flores, then they're just going to paint him as some angry, bitter black guy and it's going to be dismissed and that's it. And they're, you know, I don't know that there's really going to be a lot of change, even if there is a class of five or six or 12 men who, who come together. I don't, I'm not super hopeful that there would be a lot of change necessarily, but at least it's much, much harder to deny multiple men who step forward with these allegations and hopefully receipts in the form of text messages or whatever the case, emails, text messages, whatever the case may be. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I, for many, many reasons, I think the allegation of potentially tanking games is the thing that really could harm the league. Brian Flores is, uh, sacrificing his entire NFL career, at least he's putting it on, a, uh, on the line. We, we can't say for sure that he has sacrificed it because the Houston Texans and the New Orleans Saints both claim that he's a legitimate candidate for their openings. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that it would have sort of underscore filled. his point if, if he never works again, right? I yeah. Mean, they're making his point for him. Right. Um, and uh, whether it be uh, Texans ownership or the Saints ownership. I don't know if uh, the cynic in me says that they're probably being pressured right now to take a really good look at a minority candidate here, help out mm -hmm. your 
your fellow owners here. Um, uh, these are two ownerships groups that have been under fire uh, for various things. Uh, you know, the saints of all things for for helping out the Catholic Church in a in pedophile case. Like the NFL that one got swept under the rug really quickly. Yeah, the the NFL is um, the NFL is something else. Uh, <laughs> but um, I could see these these teams pushing back and be like, uh, well, maybe like a Rachel Nichols situation. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We should have more minority coaches, but don't tell me to hire one. Right. I don't make me give up my my opening right for it. I mean, like, I'm all for it. Hey, everybody, you know, hey, don't look at me. I'm not racist, but don't make me uh, hire a, a minority. Um, but you mentioned the phrase, uh, so I'm going to use it, angry, bitter black man. Um, the, the problem with the NFL is that there are an awful lot of angry, bitter black men out there who also mm -hmm. feel like their careers in the NFL are over with, too, that they're not going to get right. another shot. You know, Hugh Jackson, obviously, right. uh, with his time with Cleveland, uh, regard for whatever reason you want to look at, whether it be he wasn't good enough or the organization and all its problems, the fact that they drafted wrong, the, the you know, whatever, he's probably not going to get another shot anyway. So he's got right. nothing to lose. So you have, I think, probably an accumulation as we hear in the next couple of weeks, um, a lot of former black coaches or minority coaches who have nothing to lose. Uh, and I'm sure that the NFL is not thrilled with that. Right. But that's where we need to have other men step forward. You know, we need to have Hugh Jackson step forward. We need to have Marvin Lewis step forward. We need to have, heck, David Culley. You know, David Culley worked his whole life. He's plucked from really obscurity, you know, that he was made head coach of the Houston Texans and there were stories. There was a report. I think it was Mike Florio for pro football talk within like the ink was not even dry on the contract of David Culley signing to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. There's a report that, well, he's just holding the seat warm for Josh McCown. Right. Look, David Culley. So I hope this doesn't make me racist for saying so, <laughs> but David Culley is with the bills and there are people with the bills. And this is when, you know, he became the quarterback's coach and put in charge of Josh Allen for some reason. Mm -hmm. And he had really, and he had never coached quarterbacks since, you know, his, his wee early days at some college, he had some experience coaching quarterbacks, but he'd been a receivers coach in the NFL. And now your franchise quarterback that you traded up to get, uh, he's it's David Culley that's that's working with him uh, now. Never mind that every time Josh Allen's asked about his coaching or what's going on behind the scenes and development, he talks about Shea Tierney, the entry level you know quarterback assistant, uh, and not David Culley until I think it was brought to the attention through maybe something I'd written about. <laughs> oh, isn't it interesting? He never mentions David Culley, and then he started mentioning <laughs> David Culley. But when David Culley gets that job, I'm hearing from so many people in the Bills organization that look. Nothing against David Kelly. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. He's a team guy through and through, but he has no business being an NFL head coach. Right. And but how many so, white coaches can we say that about? Oh, a lot of them, a lot of them. But I think right? what I'm getting at here is that even a, the hiring of a minority was a sham. Right. Like right. Even and, the, that, that and it's almost one. like, like we're going to, we're going to throw them off our scent. 
by hiring a minority. So that way they can't accuse us of doing anything. Look, we had a minority. We just had a minority. Right. Okay. Well, right. We're on the up and up. Right. And the, but the thing is, you know, I, I hope David Cully has some kind of receipts. You know, he's 67 years old now. He got what, $22 million because head coaching money is fully guaranteed. Take their money and join this class. You know, hopefully if, if he has evidence that that whole thing was a sham, please join that class. You know, I mean, the thing of it is, is that we all know anybody who is honest knows that the majority of these interviews are not legitimate interviews. You know, last year, Shad Khan hires Urban Meyer and um, I think it was the MMQB had written that, you know, Shad Khan offered the job to Urban Meyer in December, that he had known for weeks that the job was his if he wanted it. But yet and still they go through the charade of interviewing Eric Bieniemy and Robert Sala. And I think Raheem Morris was the third one that Shad Khan interviewed. And it's like, it's just so insulting and it's so maddening you know and you've been around the league long enough that you've talked i'm sure you've talked to black coaches or you've heard stories they all know but then if you don't do it if you don't take those interviews then you're wrong you know as a black candidate look at what it just we saw it today you're difficult on, and you're probably not going to get the next interview for when it's for a legitimate job hey man look you, at what happened today yeah you yeah they're talking today at the senior bowl about, well, Byron, Byron Lefwich doesn't want to take the Jacksonville Jaguars job because Trent Balky's there and, and how, you know, there's rumblings like, well, why wouldn't he take that job? Because he's smart. Because he is not going to. And it's funny. I was, I didn't end up writing it, but it was a column idea that I floated last week that I did not want him to take that job because it's a shit organization. And when it went to shit, like it inevitably would, Byron Leftwich would get painted with the shit brush and Shad Khan can go ahead, do what he's doing and keep making money in the United States and swindling Jacksonville into building a new practice facility or whatever it is and going to London and yada, yada, yada. And then Byron Leftwich's career is probably ruined because he gets one bite at the apple. Maybe he gets three years and then that's it. Don't take the job. And to sit there and, you know, Again, you've been around longer than I have. Have you wait ever heard anybody now, say wait a anything? Now, that sounded like a backhanded compliment. <laughs> have you ever heard anybody say anything nice about Trent Balky? Why no. would you go into your first head coaching job saddled with that general manager? He did what he had to do. And it's the most Jaguars thing ever that Shad Khan is apparently choosing a shit GM that again, nobody has, I have never heard anybody say anything nice about Trent Balky. I've never heard anything good about this man. Why would you start your head coaching career saddled to that guy? You can't do it. And so you have this opportunity as the Jaguars to bring in an eminently qualified coach. You have the number one overall pick in the draft last year, who, according to all the draft experts, is supposed to be this can't miss prospect. You've already lost a very important first year. Why would you not bring in somebody who played the position before, who's young, who obviously, you know, is very collaborative. Look, Tom Brady is demanding, you know, Tom Brady is demanding of his coaches. He's demanding of himself. And the fact that they work together is a good thing. 
right? Byron Leftwich called plays. That's the thing that we keep hearing about Eric the Enemy. Well, he doesn't call plays. Well, neither did Nathaniel Hackett nor Kevin O'Connell, and they're both about to become head coaches. How I digress. So it's just the most Jaguars thing ever that he, you know, Leftwich is beloved. He played there, he was drafted there. He's a damn good coach. Um, he's probably ready. The thing about being a head coach, it's like being a parent. You don't know what it's like until you actually do it. Give him a shot. But no, you're going to be wedded to Trent Balky. And like I said, now you have people, you know, guys down at the senior bowl talking about, well, you know, he's passing up that opportunity. He should pass up that opportunity. Why is nobody saying the same thing about Dan Quinn? Dan Quinn had like eight interviews this cycle. He pulled out of a couple of interviews because he was like, oh, I don't really want it. He pulled out of Jacksonville. Nobody's talking shit about Dan Quinn. And why didn't Dan Quinn want to go to the Jacksonville Jaguars if he wants to be a head coach again? Because he knows better. So let Byron Leftwich know better. And then let him have more opportunities next year. Maybe the biggest example of the coach being picked before interviews were done uh, was the Raiders with John mm -hmm. Gruden. Um, that didn't work out either. It's funny, you know, Urban Meyer and, and John Gruden, the two guys who fell flat on their face this year, um, were, were handpicked without uh, any other interviews that probably would have behooved the ownership groups to maybe open things up and, and take a look at more people, which is kind of the point of the Rooney rule. Mm -hmm. I also want to mention, just because it's off the top of my head, uh, somebody who's not gotten another opportunity, Lake Dawson, uh, who is a Bills uh, scouting uh, executive now uh, with, uh, at the college, uh, with college scouting. Uh, he was offered that Miami Dolphins GM job. He turned it down. Mm -hmm. Hasn't gotten a sniff since. Now, maybe he's gotten an interview here or there that I'm not aware of, but he certainly hasn't been considered a finalist or come close uh, to getting another job. Uh, and he's a former vice president of football operations for the for the Tennessee Titans. This is somebody. Jerry Reese. Right. Tim, Absolutely. Jerry Reese won two rings as a general manager of the New York Giants. Where Where is Jerry Reese? Rick Smith, when the Texans were actually competitive, all the good guys on the roster were when Rick Smith was general manager. But nope, Bob McNair decided to, when there was a power struggle, he went with Bill friggin' O'Brien and let Bill O'Brien be the, basically the GM and the team has sucked ever since. And now there's a team chaplain apparently running things in Texas, in Houston, which is, we could spend a whole different hour on that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's something else down there. Um, I don't know if this is still the case, but it was when I wrote a story on the Rooney rule of uh, three years ago for the athletic. Um, I, I'm, I can't think of another and, may, and you may know off the top of your head, but it, this was in late or early 2019. Um, no minority has had three chances to be an NFL head coach. Um, Jim Caldwell, a lot of people would love for him to have that opportunity. He would be the first in NFL history. Mm -hmm. But among the white coaches who've received three head coaching jobs, and I'm not giving you the entire list. This is just among them. John Fox, Mike Malarkey, Norv Turner. They get three chances to be a head coach. Yeah. Jim Caldwell, Turner. Uh, which is classic um, you know, NFL behavior. As a, as a minority, you get one shot, and you're not going to get another one, um, right. usually. Usually you have to be, you have to be exceptional. And Jim Caldwell's record is I think 12 wins above 500 and he's still unable to get a, a third shot. Detroit, he should probably still be the head coach of the Detroit Lions. He probably should be. 
he probably should be. I mean, when you look at, he was the offensive coordinator the years that the Ravens won the Super Bowl with Joe Flacco, right? You know, for all the the jokes about is Joe Flacco elite? Well, for that playoff run, he was. And who was his offensive coordinator and guiding him through that process was was Jim Caldwell. Another rarity in a minority who was allowed to be around quarterbacks also. It's true. Not just like a coordinator, but, you know, quarterbacks. He's a he was a former defensive coach who made the switch very early in his career and it helped him out. Uh, because he wanted to be a head coach at some point. He saw the writing on the wall was, well, you have to get the keys to the kingdom uh, mm-hmm. and be around the quarterbacks, be a quarterback's coach, uh, which is, those keys are, are just very difficult to get. He did it at the high-level college ranks, you know, Penn State, and et cetera, et cetera. Shalise, let me ask you just your thoughts. I have no idea where to go with this, and I'm, t- I'm going to leave it broad broad uh and and wide open on purpose i'm gonna let you interpret what do you think of the rooney rule (sighs) really it's insulting it's insulting you know it's gotten the rule itself or how it's applied the rule how it's a it's it's become insulting in how it's applied but the fact that it even is is insulting, you know, and sure. people who, who don't know the history, the reason it came to be in 2003 to begin with is because Johnny Cochran and Cyrus Mary threatened lawsuits back in 2002. So the league was like, oh shit, I guess we need to fix this. So they institute the Rooney rule and no sooner do they institute the Rooney rule, it got corrupted, you know, and you kind of alluded to it earlier and, and I understand it is it's difficult because it's one league, but it's like 32 corporations within one league, right? But to have, to see how it has changed over the last few years, it just pisses me off to no end. You know, I, I, I think it was after the Raiders did what they did hiring John Gruden, that's when it became, well, no, you have to interview two external candidates when you have an opening like that. Because I think one of the guys that they interviewed was like an offensive quality control guy who happened to be black or something like that. You know, it was like some super low level guy that was never going to get the head coaching position to begin with, but he was black and, you know, they spent five minutes with him. They checked the box. They said, okay, we interviewed somebody, even though they had hired John Gruden before they even fired Jack Del Rio. Um, So how it's played out is insulting. And it's also, it's just ridiculous. I mean, it's 2022. You really, NFL owner class, can't, like this whole thing about like, it has to be somebody I'm comfortable with. How many, how often do owners and their head coaches go out? Like, are they really like spending time together all the time? Like, what is it that you think you have to feel, you know, and again, how many, okay. So Brian Flores, yes, he's from Brooklyn. Yes. He is the son of Honduran immigrants did not grow up wealthy, but what exactly you're hiring him to coach your football team and to bring a winning culture to your football program. Right. Right. That should not, 
I just, I don't under, like this whole, this idea that you hear people say, well, it has to be somebody they're comfortable with. What do you think Brian Flores is going to do if he gets upset? Like, do you have this grandiose, ridiculous, racist notion in your head that if you disagree with Brian Flores, he's going to pull out a knife and stab you? He's going to go down to the, he's going to go to the, down to the West Palm beach docks and he's going to vandalize your yacht. Yeah. Yeah. He carries around, you know, when he opens up his jacket, there's like five or six cans of spray paint there and he's going to tag your yacht at the Marina. Like what kind of racist bullshit is in your mind? Like that you can't, what do you think is going to happen? And then like Eric B right. What's the only thing we, what's the only there's never really an, a thing given, but the thing that we hear the most is he doesn't interview well. Dan fucking Campbell, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to believe that Dan Campbell interviewed better than Eric Bieniemy. I guess it depends on your audience. There, you know, Dan Campbell has a certain allure. You know, he's, and, and he uh, if, like if he, he gets the right audience, he'd be like, yeah, fucking football, man. <laughs> let's do get let's get after some fucking football. It's so, you know, I just, I'm so, I'm mad and I'm frustrated. Like I know so many, when I was a beat writer for the first few years that I covered the Patriots, I was literally the only black woman beat writer really ever for an NFL team. Um, and for the first four years I did it, I was the only one Kimberly Martin became Jets beat writer. And the people who were best to me were the black assistant coaches, were the black scouts, were the black agents. And it was never spoken, but I think they knew how hard they had it. So they always looked out for me and they were, you know, they were the most helpful to me still. And some of them I still, you know, am in contact with. And some of them are still in the league and to hear them, you know, someday, someday I have a, a source who's with an AFC West team and, oh yeah, I really hope I'm going to get an interview this time. And it's like heartbreaking because I know this person and at the end of the day, like None of these guys work out. That's why these teams are looking for new GMs. That's why these teams go looking for new head coaches because something went wrong and you want to start over again. And you're not even giving them the chance to screw up. Not even once, right? That's the thing that's so like Adam Gates was a train wreck and he wasn't even unemployed for two weeks before the Jets hired him again. Freddie Kitchens had was like a running backs coach. And then he comes and he's the interim head coach of the Browns and gets a chance. And yes, he failed, but he got the chance to fail. And you're not even giving these black coaches, incredibly qualified black coaches, the chance to fail. Again, nobody knows how good they're going to be at being a head coach until they're a head coach. You know, we've seen, you mentioned North Turner. Good coordinator, shitty head coach. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Mike Vrabel wasn't a great defensive coordinator. Obviously a good head coach. It's a different kind of skill set. But you're not even giving these black men the opportunity. And then when you give them the opportunity, if they are not successful by the end of year two, 
you're firing them for somebody else. I mean, Brian Flores was there for three years. No, he didn't make the playoffs. But the first two games he coached in 2019, they lost 110 to three or whatever the number was. It was like historic. And his players could have looked at one another and been like, screw this shit and packed it in. But no, they ended up winning five of their last seven games or whatever it was in 2019. This year, they start off one and seven. They're in the playoff hunt in the last week of the regular season. So do you want a winning team? And on you, his way out the door, he gets tagged as being difficult. And that's, so that goes back to the angry black man thing. If he doesn't that, speak up with the lawsuit, right. maybe he doesn't get a fair shot at any of these gigs. And He wasn't going to get a fair so shot anyway. Right. Yeah, he's seeing the writing on the wall, and he, he has a chance. He's young enough in his career that he can make a sacrifice uh, and make a difference. And if he can't make a difference with his 53 men on Sunday afternoons, then he's going to make a difference um, you know, maybe like Kurt Flood or mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick, and they have to, he has to sacrifice his, his dream, but, uh, and maybe he's, you know, sticking his face right in a fan uh, and has no shot uh, to, to make a, make a difference for himself, but maybe he makes a difference for the next hundred guys. Yeah. Um, and, but like I hopefully. said, the thing of it is, is you're asking them to do these interviews and, Bless Flo, because one of the interviews he did, and they were like, well, if you knew that somebody else was already getting the Giants job, why did you go to the interview? And he said, well, the audacity of hope. And it's like, I'm glad you feel that way, because really the answer is he didn't have a choice. You know, he, he didn't have a choice but to show up and do that interview and go through the dog and pony show. And, you know, look at what happened. I think it was just yesterday. We're seeing reports that the Minnesota Vikings interviewed Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator of the Giants, also a black man. They interviewed him for nine hours, nine hours. And then no sooner did they finish up the interview, nine hour interview with Patrick Graham, Ian Rappaport's tweeting, oh, Jim Harbaugh is coming in tomorrow with the expectation he's gonna get the job. Why did you waste nine hours? That's not a small amount of time. You made this man go through nine hours of trying to convince you that, yes, sir, I have black skin, but I know this game, sir. What? And then, and it's more than the nine hours, however many hours it took for him to prep uh, for his presentation to get there, the whole thing. And yeah, I'm sure he flew on the private jet and everything, but that's, that's a, that's days and days uh, going into that. Exactly. Exactly. And he spent that whole time, and no sooner does he walk out the building is the reporter for the league media outlet, the, the big reporter for the league media outlet being like, oh, Jim Harbaugh is walking in. The expectation is he's getting the job. Then why the fuck did you bring Patrick Graham in? There? Check the box. And the, you know, the, the lie that they've told all this time is, well, it's good experience. No, it's not. It's not good experience. It is not a fun experience to get yourself all gussied up like you said, fly to wherever you're supposed to be flying. And nowadays, because of Zoom, they don't even have to fly anybody anywhere. They don't have to pretend to sit through dinner and pretend that they like this guy for a few hours or whatever. Patrick Graham is a smart man. You know, he's no relation, by the way, not <laughs> it's not no relation because he's smart, but right. he's you know, he's a, I'm a little surprised 
because he started his NFL coaching career with the Patriots. Um, and he was the D line coach there for a little bit, very smart, but very quiet. So he's not, he's kind of in that Jim Caldwell mold that he's probably not going to win the press conference that everybody talks about. Um, but it's just like, like that whole, like, and, and actually that was Tuesday. They did that with Graham. It's like literally just, we have this news that Brian Flores is filing this landmark, historic, incredibly brave lawsuit, alleging racial discrimination. And then here's the league media outlet saying, well, Patrick Graham spent nine hours, but Jim Harbaugh is coming tomorrow. The job says if he wants it. <laughs> what yeah, the, the plane to take Patrick Graham home hasn't even fired up yet. You know, he's, he's still he's still in the car service on his way oh, to the yeah. airport. It's see, I all I could do is laugh. It's because it's just so it's just so ridiculous and it's so absurd. And what are you supposed to? And the thing the thing is, is like it's not just getting to that mountain talk. You know, it's not just being able to say that you have one of 32 jobs. It also is like generational wealth, you know, for say I, the David Culley situation, that man got $22 million free and clear. He has to get paid all of that money. So, you know, to some, I've seen some people say, pay me $22 million and you can shit on me and fire me after one year. And, and I a hundred percent understand that point. Oh, it's the old metaphor of, uh, yeah, I'd let Mike Tyson, uh, kick my ass <laughs> right. for, for right. a portion of that. I'd be like, right. ah, you, you might, you might, but I bet you regret it. Correct. And that's, you know, David Colleen now has that money and, you know, can set his children, grandchildren, whatever up for the rest of their lives. But that's the other thing that you're not that these black coaches are missing out on, you know, that when you're a coordinator, assuming you even make it to the coordinator level, you make money, but you're not making $22 million for four years or whatever Cully's contract was for, you know, and <sighs> I'm rambling a little bit. It's just so like, I've just been, I've written so much about this and I just think about it and talk about it. And it's, it's just, it's beyond like you can't legislate people to change their hearts. Right. And I think that's the thing that people need to realize is that for whatever it is, these owners, the GMs, they can't get past whatever biases they have. And it's just, and, and then there's the whole labor aspect and, you know, I've written about that before in the race norming stuff. And, you know, you're fine with these black men when they're bashing in their bodies and their brains. But then you don't, how do you not see that somebody who played at the highest level for five years or 10 years or whatever the case may be, coaching is teaching. That's what it is. I'm, I coach track and field. It's teaching. It's teaching people and reaching kids and figuring out, like I, I coach seventh through 12th grade girls in track and field. Some of them I can coach one way, others I have to coach another way. Some of them I become close to because, you know, they're on the team for potentially six years. So I see them like grow up in front of my eyes and we become very close and, you know, I can impart whatever wisdom I can on them and all that kind of stuff. That's what it is. That's, it's not cutting somebody open and, and 
doing heart surgery and black people can do that too, obviously, but it's like, it's just exhausting. <laughs> Your most uh, recent column at Yahoo Sports, uh, you had a great line uh, regarding the Rooney rule and, and how teams have essentially just circumvented it, ignored it, or, you know, just treated it with, with uh, as though it's one more box to check. Uh, you mentioned that last year, uh, the, at the addition of the uh, mid-round draft pick as a reward, uh, you know, for developing black uh, minority coaches uh, that then move on to, uh, to other teams. You, you said it's like a toddler that gets a sticker for using the potty. And mm -hmm. I thought that that was a great line. And so left to their own devices, the NFL tweaks and doesn't seem to do anything of, of substantive change. But getting back to the uh, Flores claim that Stephen Ross offered $100,000 for every loss back in 2019, uh, I think maybe that is the eye opener that does get something done that because we're seeing government get more involved, I think before, mm -hmm. whether sports was just a different world, you know, the, you know, the way it's always been with major league baseball and uh, you know, they always had special considerations as businesses. They were treated differently uh, as a pastime. You're dealing with a lot of fans who are elected officials and they don't want to touch it. Well, it, that's not the same anymore. And especially with gambling involved, I don't think that it is beyond the realm that we see Congress get involved eventually with, mm -hmm. um, with the NFL, uh, much like we're seeing them. Uh, they want to hear from uh, the accusers for the Washington football team uh, scandal. Now the Washington commanders, whatever. I like Washington <laughs> football team because it sounds ridiculous too. and they should be collared with anything that's ridiculous. Um, so Washington football team accusers, uh, you know, speaking to Congress uh, about a report that the NFL did not want on paper. Uh, so that way they wouldn't have to destroy anything, which is obscene in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Um and so I can see an attorney general, a state attorney general saying, all right, you do business in our state through this gambling mechanism. We need to oversee this. Yeah, We're going to have our own inquiry as the state of, well, maybe Texas is a bad example. I don't know if Texas, <laughs> but I don't know the state of New York, you know, I don't know. They, California, maybe they want to yeah. take a look at it. You know, teams that are that generally have a disdain for, you know, throwing, giving away money and letting people do what they want uh, or you know, under the cover of uh, of. Uh, well, hell, I don't want to start getting down the road of politics, but um, maybe this is the type of eye opening. Uh, claim that gets heavy duty involvement. And I'm sure that's exactly, that's ex precisely what the NFL does not want is for somebody else to come in and tell them how to do their business. But mm -hmm. they've been flirting with this for so long because they can't do it themselves. Right. Um, Daniel Snyder. And, you know, it's, it's funny, um, you know, Jerry Richardson, you know, for all of the skeevy things that he was doing with the Carolina Panthers, he at least was embarrassed enough <laughs> right. that, that the investigation forced him to sell the Carolina Panthers. He at least had shame. Right. Daniel Snyder apparently has no shame and it's creating and this, Tanya. this war. Right. Um, you know, you, and, and it's not just the NFL either. And Shalise, I don't know how closely you follow the NHL, 
uh, but the Wirtz family with the Chicago Blackhawks mm-hmm. and the and the and the uh, town hall meeting that they had last night regarding Kyle Beach, and uh, and that you know the the sex abuse scandal that the Blackhawks so dastardly severely mishandled mm-hmm. um, and the owner saying, we're not talking about that anymore. That's the past when, right. when asked by Mark Lazarus uh, of, of the athletic, whether, you know, what, what the team is doing or what, what, to, what is in place to make sure that doesn't happen again. A f- not only a fair question, a necessary question. Mm-hmm. And him basically being told, mind your own business. Right. Uh, that's not how teams have to operate today. And I think that there are a lot of people who don't view it and, I, and I'm ca- talking about people in our position too, Shalise. Um, reporters writing about the thing they cover wasn't very common, you know, 15, 20 years ago. There'd be outliers. Yeah, there'd be some crusaders out there. But to bite the hand that, that pays your mortgage? Right. Um, you know, look, I'm an NFL fan, or I should say this. Yeah, I'm an NFL fan because I'm a football fan and I like football at its highest level. But when it comes to the league and how it operates, I, I think it's awful. I think it's, I think it's horseshit the way right. these leagues operate. And I think that it, all the leagues have their problems. So you could rank them. All right. I, I certainly think the NBA is more progressive than the NFL and major league baseball and the national hockey league. And I'm sure I'd put NASCAR down on the list uh, pretty low. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, maybe I'd have Formula One up high and what, I don't know. I mean, there are different degrees of it, but in general, it's, it's all it's it's disgusting the way these these organizations work just to protect their owners. Yep. And um, it's or they're out of fear of their owners. Um, I don't know. I, I guess that's my word salad for you that I'll now toss back into your lap uh, regarding uh, the, that, that idea. And unfortunately, and it brings us back to where we started the conversation, the hundred thousand dollar payment is, might be the thing that gets discrimination looked at more closely. It might be, it might be, I think, you know, the, the sobering, the sobering thing to realize from my perspective is that at the end of the day, I don't think the majority of NFL fans care, you know, if, if their head coach is black, if their head coach is white, um, if their head coach is Muslim American, like Robert Sala down with the jets. Um, I mean, we saw that, (laughs) we saw that with Colin Kaepernick, you know, the way that that was immediately twisted, um, that he was, disrespecting the military and he was being divisive and he was, I just want to watch football. You don't even pay attention to the, to the anthem. It's never on TV. And when you're in the stadium, I'm sorry. I used to be in the stadium all the time. People, not everybody was removing their cap. Half the time, the, you know, the concourse is still full. People are getting one last beer before kickoff or, you know, Taking they're going a to the bathroom. Yeah, they're going to the bathroom before kickoff. So to then pretend like it's some reverential thing and not listen to what he was saying to begin with, right? And the other thing is, I will take it to my grave that if Colin Kaepernick kneeled 
and Steve Weish, our friend Steve Weish, who was the first person to ask him about it. If Steve Weish asked him, hey, I noticed you were sitting on the bench during the anthem. If Colin Kaepernick had said, yes, 22 veterans a day commit suicide, they deserve better care, and I am sitting down for the anthem to bring recognition to that. He would be a hero. He'd still be in the league. It would be like, you know, the greatest thing ever, right? He would be hailed to the ends of time. For the troops. For the troops. Let's not, let's. And the money the NFL gets for saluting the troops. And everybody forgets the fact, this is how we can do this for just about anything. This is how whiteness is centered. My mother-in-law is a black woman who was in the military and she was treated like shit. She was verbally abused. She was sexually abused, okay? Nobody cares that there are black people and let's be per capita, black people join the military more than white people do in this country. Nobody was paying attention to that. The troops, the troops, because he sat during the anthem. At any rate, people don't care <laughs> that Brian Flores should have a job and doesn't have a job. That Eric Bieniemy and Leslie Frazier and Pep Hamilton and all these other men should have jobs. They don't care. People, I think half of Pittsburgh fans would get rid of Mike Tomlin tomorrow if they could, because they think there's something better than Mike Tomlin. Could there be? Yes. Could there not be? Yup. So chances are it'll get worse. It chances are it'll get worse. The thing, the thing is, it is the gambling. It's going to be the gambling because now you're screwing with people's money and more and more people are investing, you know, not investing, but are (laughs) investing time and potentially wasting money through gambling, you know, whether it's daily fantasy or just straight up, you know, like you said, you can, how many times are they going to say the words Cooper cup during the Super Bowl this week or whatever the case may be that you can spend money on. Um, So I think that is what's going to get people's attention. But then, you know, you brought up Daniel Snyder, one of the Republican uh, congressmen during the hearing, the roundtable discussion today on Capitol Hill was saying, well, why aren't we having a hearing about X, Y, Z, and basically completely demeaning and blowing off those women and that man who were there to say what was happening. And are there other problems in this country? Yes. But hello, first of all, I would hope that you as a body can walk and chew gum at the same time and focus on multiple things, but also if this is happening at one of the most profitable, largest, most visible companies in the country, shouldn't they be held to account? And you can send a message to other companies that you are not going to allow your female employees to be treated like sexual objects every single day and just get away with it. You know, those, this is not 1922. It's not 1952. It's 2022. These women should be able to go to work and be left alone. (laughs) You should not have to worry about, oh, I can't walk down these stairs because the stairs are glass and guys will stand there and try to look up my skirt. I shouldn't have to be told like, what do I weigh? 
the owner of the franchise putting his hand on my knee or, you know, or saying, Hey, you should get to know my buddy, go up to his hotel room and like, and splicing together the naughty bits of the cheerleaders who are, you know, basically forced to go to this Caribbean Island to do the calendar, because that's part of the deal when you want to be an NFL cheerleader. And while they're supposed to be posing with like a football, then there are times when their breasts are exposed or their bodies exposed and that stuff uh, without them knowing it becomes a little tape for Dan Snyder's titillation. Oh, and then we find out that John Gruden is sending that same video to his rich buddies all over the country. That should not be the cost of business, especially since you're probably underpaid and overworked to do that job. I don't, nobody should have to deal with that shit. Like I would, I covered the league for as long as I covered the league for, I have a couple of incidents. I still remember those incidents and those, there was like literally only a couple. So I could not imagine going to work every day and being treated like that and the mental and emotional stress. And some of the women left sooner because uh, I've actually spoken with one of them before, Megan Imbert, and she just, she couldn't do it anymore. She left without having another job in hand, but she chose herself and to protect herself and to get out of that situation. And some women were able to do that and they finally, you know, reached a point where they didn't want to take it anymore, but then others didn't. And you, you sit, you're sitting before Congress because the NFL is protecting Dan Snyder over these dozens of women. And one of the people who's supposed to be listening to you is like, well, why are we listening to this? Why aren't we hearing about something else? Well, then go somewhere else then. Go, go somewhere else. Go, go somewhere else. You know, th that was those women's time. They're still waiting for real justice because that $10 million fine and the nebulous, well, Tanya is going to be in charge of the team uselessness when we all know that's not what happened. Ron and Rivera the audacity was, of no memorialization of the investigation. That's it's not on paper. And that's why it's not on paper. That's why it's not on paper because it, it, there can't be proof. And that's the most, and then for Roger Goodell to stand up there when he did that last press conference, be like, well, these people wanted their identities protected. You, it's so insulting to any, to all of our intelligence to think that you could not have produced a report that said, here are the things we found without saying, oh, Tina Smith said X and Jane, you know, good Jane Goodwin said this and this and this, like, come on. People produce stuff like that all the time. You can, you could have produced a report for the public to say this woman, you know, there was one woman who alleged this. Jane Doe number one, that. Jane Doe number 12. All the time. Yeah all the time happens in a court of law all the time or redact it whatever there's ways but yet we're supposed to just oh well he did something wrong we're not going to tell you what exactly went wrong and the only person who has served and who has gotten any real punishment in all of this was john gruden who should have gotten punished yeah, and I'm, but, I'm fine with that <laughs> I'm fine. But I'm fine that he's punished. I'm not fine that he's the only one punished. Right. Right. And, right. but it's like you said at the beginning, it's like you, you said a few minutes ago, I love football. You know, 
the vast, vast majority of the players that I spent, you know, interviewed and, and spent time around in my team, in my time covering the Patriots, good guys. And I wish for all the world that those good guys were the ones that we talked about. But the league itself and the owners, it's trash. Like, it's just such a horrible, it's just horrible. It's, it's really, you know, <laughs> there are days when, and I, I get it, you know, but there are days when they're like, oh, you want to write about this? And I'm like, not really. No, I really don't want to write about the NFL anymore. I'm going to, and I go looking for something, you know, because I write, I prefer to write about race and gender in sports. And of course, race is a big part of the NFL, as we've been discussing all this time. And the Washington football team thing is a gender thing too, but I would rather write about some of the positive things that women are doing in other places than to keep writing about this. Cause it's also, I've written the same story like a dozen times, like, Oh, look at this really yeah. awful, horrendous thing that the NFL did this time. It's, I think the very first column I ever wrote was when the giants um, was taking down the giants because the kicker, Josh Brown, we find out after the fact that they re-signed him to a new contract, despite knowing that he repeatedly in multiple cities for years beat his wife. And they were just like, yeah, but he can kick a ball. So, so what? Let's bring him back. He's I think really, he's really consistent from 54 in. It's just so, it's so much. Let you know, me, let because we can go on for this and I don't want to send either of us into a depressive tailspin for the weekend. <laughs> let's maybe, well, let's touch on one last subject and it kind of, and it blends, blends both uh, topic. Well, most of the topics we've been talking about misogyny mm -hmm. and people who get jobs uh, without necessarily deserving them. And this is maybe a long walk for me to combine the two, but I think I can do it. You can do uh, it. Your, your previous column, prior to Brian Flores was about Jeff Garcia and his comments made against ESPN's uh, analyst, Mina Kimes, mm -hmm. pretty much saying, what does she know about football? She never played the position. She's never played the game. Uh, when I did that story for the athletic about the Rooney rule uh, three years ago, and I don't think that this number has gotten any better. I, I can, I should go back and look and, and I, and I probably as soon as I get off here, I, I, I will. Uh, but um, if you were in charge of quarterbacks, Sometimes this included a head coach, uh, such as John Gruden with the Raiders or Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers, uh, or if you held the title of quarterback's coach or assistant quarterback's coach. Heading into the 2019 season, you were two and a half times more likely to have not played the position than to have been a minority. That is a piece of my story, which ended up now, I think if I were doing a story, uh, if it wasn't a deep dive on the Rooney rule, that's probably in my second paragraph. Like, hey, this is what I found out when I did a deep dive. It ended up being about two thirds down in the story because there were so many other things mm -hmm. that were shameful when looking at how things were working in the NFL. And um, before we get into Mina Kimes and Jeff Garcia, I guess I will say this. As I, as I break off uh, maybe and, and get back into the Rooney rule here, but when I just said I, we're going to talk about something else, but I found in my research for that and other stories that I've done about the Rooney rule, 
I've, I've called John Wooten too many times to count. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy, he, he, uh, he just says, hello, Tim, when I call, I mean, he recognizes <laughs> right. the number and it's been a long time. I've known him for 15 years. Um, but um, form, formerly of the Fritz Pollard Alliance, very instrumental figure in minority rights in sports. Um, a member of the Muhammad Ali meeting back in Cleveland with Jim Brown and then Lou Alcindor and Bill Russell and all those guys. Um, but where I think the Rooney rule fails is at the entry level uh, of jobs in the NFL. These are the jobs that go to the coach's son, the Mm -hmm. son-in-law, the grandson. These are the jobs that are considered just institutionalized. Here you go. You're going to be a gopher. You're going to be offensive quality control or assistant quarterbacks coach. And you're going to get us coffee and you're going to break down film and you're going to work too many hours for not enough money. But within two years, you're going to have a job either, you know, at a co- at a major college as a coordinator, or you're going to be in the pipeline moving up the ladder. And in five years, I mean, this is the way it's gotten in yep. five years, you're going to get interviewed for head coaching jobs because you know, the system from the ground up, you can speak the language You've been around the quarterback. You've been given the keys to that secret room where the quarterbacks hang out and work and do all their stuff that generally black people don't get, get to go in there mm-hmm. because, and the reason they don't get to go in there isn't because they're black, but it's because they're not Norv Turner's son. They're not right. Gary Kubiak's son. Yep. They're not uh, Bill Callahan's son who didn't start a game in high school. He didn't start a game in high school, but got a spot on UCLA's roster as a backup quarterback. So that way he could learn the game to grease the skids for his coaching career. That's how it works. So I think, and, uh, and uh, Art Rooney, who I interviewed for that story three years ago, agreed with me, but nothing's been done. Um, rather than working from the top jobs down, coach, coordinator, GM, all these things and working down. All right, well, now we got to look at quarterbacks, coaches. You have to interview my, no, not necessarily. You have to interview minorities for entry-level jobs that you keep giving to the legacy hire because he's got a last name that you, that you know, because you worked with his old man 20 years ago at UTEP uh, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how Wade Phillips is. That's how Bum Phillips's son. And then Wade Phillips's son, they all get these jobs. They get jobs and they, so Clint Kubiak, who was used to be a package deal with his dad, his dad wouldn't take a job unless you hired Clint too. <laughs> now Clint Kubiak's the offensive coordinator of the Denver Broncos. Yeah. He doesn't have to work with his dad anymore. He's or um, Aaron was, Cromer, you know, yep. the, the Cromers, they were always a package. deal. You can't hire me without my son. Um, and that's so anyways, but that's my long walk. And try, so Jeff Garcia, that's the most logical. That's the most, that's probably one of the best ideas I've ever heard, you know, because when you, <clears throat> when you look at teams websites and you look at those pictures for the coaching roster and who is on the, the team and who are the coaches, if you, a lot of times you'll see like, Oh, so-and-so is the, um, the Bill Walsh minority coaching intern. I don't even know if those are full season jobs. They're not. Uh, Those are, but there are two teams, the Detroit lions being one of them. And I, I, I'll look it up here while you're talking uh, because, but yeah, there are teams that have made them full season, 
but the Bill Walsh Minority Fellowship is only for a training camp. Right. So what is so that? It's, you get a taste. <laughs> right. It's like, okay, we'll, we'll show you. I think that's what Jen Welter did when, when Bruce right. Arians first hired her. She was just there for training camp. And it's like, that's all well and good. But then what? You know, and it's like you said, there's, there has been a lot of studies done and a lot of research done on, you know, these black coaches, they're not known to anybody. They're not related to anybody. They're not, I, I just wrote something. Um, the I, Cardinals, I, by the way, the Lions and the Cardinals. Okay. I'd have to look it up, but, you know, there's just so few black head coaches who have ever been, there's been over 500 head coaches in the history of the NFL. And only like 22 of them are black. So how many of them really have like that familial tie that, oh, my father was a head coach in the NFL. Yeah, there are no Art Shell's, Art Shell's children didn't get jobs in the NFL or, right. you know, name it. There's no, is there a Tomlin, you know, somewhere? I don't think Mike Tomlin's given away jobs. I think um, his, well, that's another is there one. one. Is there no, one no, what I was going to say about Mike Tomlin is I admire, I, you know, I appreciate Mike Tomlin. Mike Tomlin's had success. Oh, because Mike he's Tomlin not... has never had a black coordinator. Yeah, I hear you. And you are in that position. That's one of the things you are entirely, you know, they determine who the assistant coaches are with minimal input, certainly from ownership. So you know, last, I think it was just last year, he had an opening at offensive coordinator. He interviewed Pat Hamilton because he had to interview an external uh, minority candidate. And he ended up just promoting the guy who was already on his staff. It's like you, Mike Tomlin, it's nice that you can go on these television shows and whatever and say what a shame it is. You are in a position to help and you haven't yet, right? And they have a, they have a defensive coordinator opening now, but the last not the 20, not this current hiring cycle, but the one that, um, you know, 2020, 2021, that whole one, there were 40, the previous 40 head coaches, 30 of them came from the offensive side of the ball and nine of them were defensive. And one of them was Joe judge. So, you know, it's great if you hire a black man as defensive coordinator, but even that is, it's still a hard path for any coach really to be become a head coach from the defensive side of the ball these days, but it's just, you know, it's, it's funny, you know, the Tomlin thing sort of ties into when people are like, Oh, the answer is minority ownership. Not necessarily, not necessarily, you know, because <laughs> there's a phrase, all skin folk aren't kin folk, you know, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's kind of what comes into play. You know, it's, it's not, would it be great that if there were black, cause if there were minority owners, if there were black owners, it would mean there were a number of black people who had enough money and they were accepted by, you know, the Jerry Joneses of the world that, Oh, we'll let, we'll let you join our little exclusive club. But, you know, just because you have a, a black owner, majority owner someday does not necessarily mean that all of a sudden we'll see like 15 black head coaches or 15 non-white head coaches and 22 non-white GMs, you know, that it's, it wouldn't be some magic switch. 
you, you know what we need? We, it doesn't need to be a blackhead coach. It needs to be more coaches who think like Bruce Arians. You know, you know what else? You know who is, else? Yeah. Quiet is kept. Nobody, I, I just noticed this. And unfortunately, the special teams coach, I think, was relieved of his duties. Kyle Shanahan had three black coordinators oh. this year. Because he had D'Amico Ryans. He had Mike McDaniel, who is mixed like I am. And his special teams coordinator was black as well. He didn't get as much publicity for it because Bruce Arians was the first, but Kyle Shanahan had three non-white coordinators this season as well. And Bruce Arians, to take it a step further, had a minority quarterbacks coach also. Is Clyde Christensen a minority? Yeah, he's. Uh, I actually had to get that. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Verified when mm-hmm. he was at a previous stop when I wrote that story because I had. Okay. Because somebody asked me, I, I, the, I wrote something for Arizona State has something called the Global Sport Institute. And I wrote something recently about how there were only four non-white quarterbacks coaches this past season. And they were like, Clyde Christensen? And I was like, I don't think so. Like I Googled and I just wasn't able to 100% Now, now, Shalise, like, sometimes you can't tell just by looking. You no, should no, no, know it this. wasn't just by looking. Like I Googled like <laughs> ethnic my you no, know, I had to, makeup and, I actually and had to stuff. go I had to go to the PR guy and mm-hmm. I said I know this is a strange question but you know <laughs> and he asked him he he went and asked him so well, he's like yes yeah, so let me see if I can find the email before a couple of weeks ago none of us realized Mike McDaniel was <laughs> right there yeah if some of us there's there's been some embarrassment there Yes. I mean, I, I can usually see my people from a mile away, but I did not peg Mike McDaniel. <laughs> oh, geez. Let me see. What's oh, got to be it? I don't think he is because I saw something where he had done an interview where he said, oh, I have a uh, black. Clyde identifies himself as Polynesian. Oh, okay. All right. This is from this is from Tampa Bay Buccaneers director of communications, Michael Pahanek Mm -hmm. from uh, from February 2019. Okay. Yeah, that counts then. (laughs) See, I checked my box. Um, Shalise, I, I, we've gone on a long time here, but let me, let, I, I brought it up. So I don't know if there's anything more you want to say about the Jeff Garcia, Mina Kimes, uh, blow up. Um, it's, uh, it was sweet. It was, it was sweet to mm-hmm. see Jimmy Garoppolo melt down at the end of the game. If for no other, <laughs> I had no rooting interest in that game. Although betting is, I will say the caveat betting is now uh, legal in the state of New York. So I may have had some rooting interest, but I didn't care who won the game. Um, but it was nice to see uh, Jimmy Garoppolo uh, chase uh, Jeff Garcia right off of social media. And that was the thing. You know, I got some pushback, of course, because I get pushback with like everything I write from trolls. That's on the Twitter. gig. That's the gig. It is. Unfortunately. The gig. Um, and that, well, he wasn't being sexist. He didn't say, look, first of all, you're talking to somebody who's done this since she was 19 years old. Literally the first story that I was sent out to do on my own when I was at the Providence Journal and I was 19 years old was to Brown University because some wealthy alum 
endowed the football coaching seat. So now it was called like the Tim Graham family head coaching, head football coaching chair at Brown I University. I like that. Right? While I'm there talking to the athletic director, the man's name's Dave Roach, never forget it. He's like, well, why are you here? Why aren't you covering women's sports? So I've dealt with this shit since I was 19 years old. I'm now 44. That's 25 years, right? So don't sit there and tell me that I don't understand. No, he did not say, why would she not? Why would she understand? Because she's a woman. But he said, because she's never played the game. And we all know that, yes, there are women who play football, but by and large, women do not play football, right? We all know that. A and B, you can't find any other examples of Jeff Garcia losing his shit over a man giving some mildly critical analysis of Jimmy Garoppolo's play. So you put those two things together and he clearly was targeting her and there was definitely a sexist element to it. When I covered the Patriots, (laughs) none of them played football. There were a couple of guys who played D3 football, a couple. I was the only division one athlete <laughs> in the time. I was a walk-on division one athlete for the Syracuse University track and field program, but I was a division one athlete for two years. So nobody took that into account. It was just that, as I tell my students, well, I did not think have... of think, think of how many years uh, Mike Reese had in the league. Right. Mike Reese right. is revered around these parts by Patriots fans. He's not of a, he is not tall. When you look at him, you do not assume the man played football, but because he has a penis, therefore he must know everything about football because <laughs> that apparently is the gift that you get when you have a penis. That's oh. the only other, that's the only thing I can think of. This is, I have had so many people say to me, we do. And I would, we, we receive <laughs> clarity. We, it's actually not the penis. It's puberty. It's when we hit puberty, <laughs> we get total football clarity. And uh, yeah. But the, I, that was the number one thing people used to say to me when I covered the Patriots and it was never from the players. It was never from the coaches. It was always the readers. Well, what do you know about football? I ask questions, right? I ask questions. If I'm confused about something I saw, I will go to a player that I trust and say, what happened here? Will you explain this to me? Just like all the male reporters do and all the male reporters who do their all 22 breakdown, 98% of them have no freaking idea what they're looking at, but they write it in such a way to convince you that they do. And it was just the the most delicious part of that whole thing because I was going to leave the Garcia thing alone because that type of misogyny, while it generally has died down, it's just old and it's tired, right? It's just, it's ridiculous that in 2022, you're still ranting about a woman talking about football. But when that game happened and he immediately set his Instagram to private and then the next morning he deleted his Twitter account, Oh, I had to go in on him. I just, I contacted my editor. If he doesn't ghost, if he doesn't just evaporate, you probably don't write about it. Nope. Yeah. Nope. It was the idea that we are told, and I hate that we're told this, but as women in this business, we are told you have to have a thick skin. 
you have to deal with it. This is part of the job. And we still show up. My name is on my Twitter account. You know, I have to, and I put filters in place, obviously, but if you want to engage with me and you want to engage with me in good faith, you can engage with me. If you want to shit on me left, right, and center, I might see that. And yet I still am on Twitter the next day dealing with it. And I'm right. And now I'm writing about things that are truly important, you know, writing about race and gender and equity and, you know, all of these things, these are truly important things, right? So I'm still showing up every day with my name attached to my Twitter account, with my name attached to my columns to back up what I'm saying. And this guy gets a little pushback and he disappears. <laughs> Mina Kimes was on ESPN the next day, you know, and she could gloat because Jimmy was Jimmy in the NFC championship game, but you know, she still was there. She would have had to have been there and she would have been there if Jimmy Garoppolo throws for six touchdowns and no interceptions. Right. And that's, <laughs> that was why I wrote about it because mm -hmm. for all the, you know, this, for all of us being told, and, and as I wrote in that column, there are some women, countless women, probably, who once they realize what the reality of being a woman in this space is, they left the business. And that's, I understand it, but it's a shame because who knows, you know, what kind of talent, you know, a Jordan Rodriguez or, you know, whomever that we may have lost because there was a young woman who was like, oh shit, this is what it's like. I'm not dealing with this. And I completely understand it. Cam Newton made her a national story. Right. For asking a completely innocuous question. Right. Um, and she's a damn talented. So if, you know, maybe there are, there are multiple women who does that. And that was the thing is, you know, we show up and we're still there and we're still giving our opinions. <clears throat> and this guy gets a little bit of pushback and he turned tail and hid. And I just, I saw that and I thought it was delicious and I could not let it go <laughs> because there, I mean, there are times when I'll take mental health days, you know, I, I'm in a position now because I've put in so much time. Um, it, there was one day last week where I got on Twitter and I saw like just a, a ton, not directed at me, just in general, so much racial hatred on Twitter. And I just contacted my, my editor and I was like, I'm closing out Twitter. I need a mental health day today. I just, it's too overwhelming for me. And I'm going to do, do crafts. Uh, my, I, I make cards and my boss was like, yep. Okay. See you tomorrow. And I was like, all right, <laughs> because I just, and you know, it, all that stuff was still there the next day when I went on Twitter and I, and I saw it, but sometimes you just have to, you know, I have to take you, uh, a step back. You make but cards I like greeting cards? Entirely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a mood like that, do you make one that says something like, so you're a racist motherfucker <laughs> and you open it up and it says, fuck off or something like that? <laughs> I'm going to have to ask my favorite crafting company to make me a stamp that says that so I could <laughs> put that on there. No, so you I've outed made... yourself as a turd, you know, congratulations, <laughs> you're a turd. And then you open it up and there's good yeah. job. New York <laughs> Giants, you sent out a timeline and you think that proves nobody's questioning whether or not you actually interviewed Brian Flores. We're questioning 
much bigger things than that. Yeah, look at all these people he talked to. It was legit. He <laughs> talked to people. Nobody's uh, questioning the timeline aspect. We know the interview happened. We're not questioning whether or not the interview happened. Yes, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna send John Mara. I don't, does Tish even is he even awake? Is he like, or is he just collecting the checks? Like, what well, he Tish was doing? he was one of those people listed as as somebody that was met with, right? He's on he's on the agenda. He was on the docket. And then you have Tiki Barber running around on his radio show, like, well, they were nice to me, so they can't be racist. Jesus, Tiki, shut up. It's true. <sighs> That's how it works. I have Phil- one black friend, so therefore. <laughs> God. Elise, I haven't. The, the topics aren't enjoyable, but talking to you is. And uh, <laughs> I agree. we we went on a on a little bit of a heater. And I appreciate you giving me some of your time. Yeah, man. I'm. I'm. You've always been good to me. So. Likewise. Likewise. Shalise <laughs> Manzi Young. She's a columnist at Yahoo Sports. You can follow her on Twitter at Shalise M Young. Shalise is spelled S H A L I S E. You got it. You going to be in L.A.? No, not covering the Super Bowl. Um, I think it's partially COVID related, but also we have so many reporters Mm. uh, based there already. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things I was asked about. Are you upset you're not covering the Super Bowl? And it's funny. I'm happy either way because of this. If my boss says you're covering the Super Bowl, it's like a, a merit thing. Like we want you there, we want your work. Uh, but I don't like covering the Super Bowl. So when I'm told I'm not covering the Super Bowl, that's good because I don't have to cover <laughs> the Super Bowl. Right. So either right. way, it's good. Um, but I think I prefer not covering it. Uh, will you be there? I will, and I'll be in the building this time. The last couple of times I went, I went out for the week, and then I had to go home for the actual right. game. Which that actually sucked more. Um, the last there's one not I enough was, room, I think, in the press box. Right, there's more space. Right. You know, they space people out, and I think there's there's only so many credentials the athletic gets, and we have obviously our beat writers for the Rams and mm-hmm. uh, and the Bengals and, uh, and the Bengals, and then we have people based in Los Angeles and our national writers, you know, like Mike Sando, and mm-hmm. so I'll be watching from the comfort of my couch, as the good Lord intended. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be out there. I'm excited. And combine? Excited well, I, see you at the combine. I don't think so. I don't think owners so. meetings where we're, Ooh, where where are we they this year? Incredibly popular. Where are they this year? Uh, Palm Beach <laughs> breakers of Palm beach. Oh, I haven't been to the breakers in a few years. I'll have to ask. I don't, I'm sure. Um, I know Charles will probably get to go Charles Robinson. Um, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I was actually asking today, is there like a secret way to get on the, the list for Goodell's press conference next week? Because <laughs> I have questions. <laughs> it's funny how they ask the questions and it, it became a thing on pro football talk because I was at the owners meeting in New York in which uh, Washington and the Daniel Snyder, you know, that was like the first four or five questions. And um, I was sitting on a seat that had an umbrella on it. Mm-hmm. Like it was folded up and I'm sitting like pitched forward because I was sitting behind Bob Glauber and I was mostly there to, to just to screw with Glauber during the news right. conference and crack jokes. As everyone does. And so then I sense that there's somebody next to me and I think, and I say, Oh, I'm sorry. Is this your umbrella? And it's the woman with the microphone. And she says, no, you're next. And I said, Oh, I am. 
<laughs> so, and it was like, I even said it, like, I, I think I'm the, I'm the relief pitcher. Like they're bringing me in to, to bust up these Washington questions because <laughs> they wanted me to ask a story, ask a question about the Bills stadium. Mm. And the the meeting hadn't happened yet. The Bills stadium was going to be on the agenda the next day. So good. I, I had no question to ask. And, uh, but I, they had, <laughs> I was the, I was you the were there to break it up. Yeah. They I, needed, I, needed a little help. So I think I, next I, week they're going to hand it to that kid reporter that's there every year and be like, no, you just ask all the questions. Sweetie. Get, yeah. Don't worry about it. They'll be the, you know, the Japanese reporter who will talk about bringing a game back to Tokyo for the preseason game. They'll be, right. you know, they'll, they'll find ways around it. And I'll body slam somebody and be like, look, <laughs> right. why are the owners racist? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And they'll carry me out. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you respond to the greeting cards I send you? I'm tired I of being ignored. on them. They're pretty. Shalise, <laughs> uh-huh. thank you for this. Thank you, Tim. Enjoy the Super Bowl. Thank you. You too. Hey, uh, before we wrap up, let me remind everybody that you should uh, go check out Amherst Pizza and Ale House for all the college and pro games, especially now with that legalized sports betting in New York, you know, you want to go to a place that's got a bunch of TVs so you can monitor all the different action and Amherst pizza and ale house allows you to do that. Not only football, hockey, whatever you need, but the pay-per-views, the boxing and the uh, mixed martial arts events, they have those 55 cross point parkway in Getzville. That's right off Millersport highway in the nine ninety. Uh, recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. Uh, stop in or call for takeout and delivery. Obviously, uh, fantastic wings, fingers, the pizza, of course. It's right there in the title. 716-625-7100. Again, Amherst Pizza Nail House number 716-625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Ale House. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and is partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.